Welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. I'm Graham Blair, the Associate Director of Education and Events, and today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Moneypenny, and together we're going to be talking about mastery learning. So Michael, please can you give us some background about yourself to start off with? Yeah, thanks very much, Graham, for having me along. Uh, yeah, so I'm Michael Moneypenny. I'm a consultant anaesthetist uh, based in uh, Scotland at uh, Forth Valley Royal Hospital. Um, I'm the immediate past uh, director of the Scottish Centre for Simulation and Clinical Human Factors. Uh, and I'm extremely interested in, in mastery learning and have been involved in organising a national programme of mastery learning up in Scotland. So Michael, what is mastery learning? Yeah, so um, mastery learning really is a technique for skills acquisition and assessment. Uh, it's, it's based on the idea really that a vast majority of people will be able to perform a given skill uh, given the time and feedback required, um, but that people have different aptitudes for that skill in terms of acquiring it. Uh, and this difference in aptitude in mastery learning then uh, translates into a difference in time that's required for them to pass it. Um, they're provided with all the information they need to carry out the skill beforehand, uh, and then they're observed and assessed on a, uh, on a task trainer, so not on a real person to begin with. And if the learner performs uh, well enough on their first attempt, they're provided with feedback still and considered competent to carry out the procedure uh, under direct supervision on a patient. If, as is more likely, they're not successful on that first attempt, they're still given feedback and invited to be reassessed. And this cycle continues until they have reached the minimum passing standard. So, Michael, can you talk a little bit about what the evidence base is behind mastery learning? Uh, so, yeah, there's actually a very robust evidence uh, for mastery learning, probably much more than many other uh, techniques for skills acquisition, um, especially some of the work that Magahi and his colleagues have done over in the States. Uh, so, they've shown that uh, the mastery learning um, program improves not only skills acquisition in the lab, so the skills lab itself, but also that you carry that on into um, the clinical environment. Uh, they've shown that it improves patient outcome uh, and also that there are improved collateral effects, i.e. that people who are uh, not trained in master learning but are in an environment where master learning takes place uh, actually have improved performance themselves because they are watching people who have done who have done mastery learning um, so Magaye and his and Barsuk and his colleagues have done this with central lines and uh, now have been shown with a vast number of other procedures um, such as laparoscopic inguinal hernia repairs paracentesis uh, lumbar puncture and, and many more how is it best to run a mastery learning program? Thanks. I, I guess it depends a lot on uh, what you've got available. Um, there are certain very defined aspects of a, of a mastery learning program um, that you need to have sorted out in ter so that you can actually call it a mastery learning program. I like to split them up into uh, using the shell mnemonic, so software, hardware, environment, and liveware. So in terms of software, you need a standardized uh, checklist, uh, which has been approved by those who are going to be observing the participant in clinical practice. You also need a minimum passing standard that has been set by, by those people who are going to be observing. Um, the minimum passing standard is a, a minimum number of steps that the learner has to achieve in order to pass the assessment. You also need to have a workbook which explains the procedure, some of the additional information that people need, such as indications, contraindications, and why certain steps in the in the checklist are essential. 
um, and you also uh, need to ha have a video which shows somebody performing the a procedure to a gold standard level I um, you know every single one of the checklist items that they've passed uh, on on the task trainer that you're going to use so that's the software you need in terms of hardware you need a you need a task trainer um, and consumables the task trainer it can be a commercial product it can be something you develop yourself uh, it just needs to have the uh, right sort of fidelity so that people when they perform on the task trainer it actually translates across into clinical practice in terms of environment you need a place where the master learning can take place um, so people are not being interrupted and in terms of liveware, well, you need the participants, so they'll need to come out of out of clinical uh, work or uh, be on study leave or that kind of thing. And you also need observers uh, who who really should have some expertise uh, in the skill that they're uh, assessing. That all sounds great. So, what are the benefits of uh, doing mastery learning? In terms of benefits, I think uh, I split up into three different parts. One is for the participants themselves, one is for other healthcare professionals, and lastly, benefits for patients. So for the participants themselves, uh, the benefits for them is that they know exactly what is expected of them, uh, both in the mastery learning uh, program, i.e. when they get asked to do the assessment, but also that the uh, procedure that they're carrying out as part of that mastery learning program is acceptable in clinical practice so that if they were to do the same procedure in front of a consultant they know that that, that consultant will be uh, uh, pleased that uh, they've performed it to an acceptable standard. It also stops uh, some of the things that happen at the moment where for example a, a complex task such as an epidural um, the participant maybe gets asked by a consultant uh, have they ever done one of these before and they say no they haven't and then the consultant says, well, you can watch me do this one and then you do the next one, but the next one never happens. And they end up with another consultant who says, have you ever done one of these before? And they say, no, they haven't. And they, they get told again that they have to wait and observe the consultant do this one. So the idea really is to uh, avoid that. Um, so uh, increased confidence in the participant and hopefully also a faster process of them actually getting clinical practice. For other healthcare professionals, they know that the participants have undergone a robust uh, training uh, and have been assessed as competent not to be independent, but uh, to have direct supervision of, of that skill. Uh, and that, that means, I think, that other healthcare professionals can also uh, feel more confident um, that the people who've done a master learning program, um, that they can actually allow them to do that on a, on a patient without first um, observing uh, the, the healthcare professional themselves. And lastly, for patients, uh, well, the benefits are, are manifold. Um, the research has shown the uh, improved patient outcomes of the mastery learning program, so patients should feel safer knowing that um, these participants have had mastery learning uh, training. So all the benefits sound uh, really great, but there must be some challenges uh, in delivering mastery learning. Yeah, you're right. There are always challenges with these things. I think the main challenge, I think, is uh, getting people to agree to a, a standard accept acceptable checklist. Um, whatever the procedure is, um, experts in it will have their own favorite little things that they do when they carry out a procedure. And all those favorite little things can't be included in that final checklist. There was a, a lot of sitting around uh, with a lot of people 
um, trying to decide what are the um, essential tasks, uh, essential steps in that procedure that are required for, for, for that uh, procedure to be successful. Another challenge really is identifying the people who will carry out the observations and assessments. Um, as I mentioned previously, they have to have a certain level of expertise, so these will, generally speaking, be more senior people who are already uh, quite often doing other things, busy doing other tasks, uh, providing clinical care, uh, and it's identifying the time that they have available to them to come out and uh, assess uh, and observe uh, these novices uh, carrying out these tasks. So have you got any top tips? Uh, yeah, so top tips for me would be, as with any change, um, make sure you identify key stakeholders um, across the range uh, as early as possible and involve them as early as possible. And that means there's, a, there's um, less resistance uh, later on. Uh, other things are to link up with other hospitals or health boards. Uh, many people have already developed a mastery learning uh, checklists, workbooks, videos, and that really stops you from having to reinvent the wheel um, if you're wondering how am I going to find the time to create this workbook, the checklist and the video. So quite often other hospitals have already done that, so you can just link up with them and um, ask them for that material. Um, and I guess the uh, last key tip is that participants really have to be focusing on the task. Uh, it's um, it's called the del deliberate practice. So if as an assessor you feel that that's no longer the case, maybe because of the amount of time that you've spent with them already, and this is maybe their fifth or sixth attempt, then it's okay to get them to come back at another another time uh, and, and uh, start uh, afresh. Great, thank you. It's been a really insightful uh, talk into Mastery Learning. Thank you very much for your time. If anyone wants to find out any more about Mastery Learning, we'll post uh, links with this podcast on the college website. This podcast was brought to you by the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Please note that all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.